We are on Lesson 10 as we continue in our study, and it just seems like it's going by very fast, uh, for me at least. I don't know about for you, but uh, anyway, we've seen some great truths as we've gone through here, and tonight we're continuing our study on discipleship, and we're on the third lesson dealing with discipleship, and um, in our introduction there it says we are to be disciples so we can make disciples. We are to be disciples so that we can make disciples. And so in tonight's lesson, we get encouragement to be disciples of Jesus Christ. What does it look like to live the Christian life, to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ? And then we begin to think about making disciples and, and what is our plan for our life so that we can end up doing what God has left us here or called us to do. It says there next, what is our goal? And it goes back to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And so our goal is to do what based off of that verse? Make disciples. Make disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We are to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so that's what that's what God has left us here. And Whenever we started this class at the very beginning, we said making disciples consists of two things. What are those two things? Evangelism and training. Evangelism and training. So we evangelize the unbeliever, which means we do what? Present the gospel. Present the gospel. And um, so we share the gospel with them. What Jesus did, how He died on the cross paying for their sin, how He rose from the grave conquering death, how... Um, he offers as a gift eternal life to anyone who will simply believe in him and so that's what we do in order to evangelize and then we also talked about that we are to be training people and so in order to train people then what do we have to do we have to know the word of God we've got to get into it we've got to study it we have to apply it to our lives because we don't just want to teach them in word. We want to teach them in word and deed. We want to teach them in our words, but also in our action. And so as we seek to make disciples, we must be a disciple. So let's think back to what we talked about last week. What must we do to be a disciple of Jesus Christ according to Romans 12, 1 and 2? You got to answer there. What is it? Offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. There we go. Offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And so we talked about that quite a bit last week, that we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Salvation is a gift. It costs us nothing, but discipleship costs us our lives. You know, many people think it's what they do on Sunday morning and maybe even on Wednesday nights is what makes us a Christ-like person. You know, I, I'm a good Christian. I'm a, I'm a Christ-like person. Um, I'm a godly person. Well, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I go to church on Sunday mornings, and man, I'm even I'm even excelling because I'm here on Wednesday nights. But what makes us a disciple of Jesus Christ is not what we do on Sundays and Wednesdays so much as to what we do all the other days of the week, because we gather for worship and training. And we scatter for evangelism and service. And that's what we are to do as being disciples of Jesus Christ. We are to scatter out into the community. That's where we evangelize. That's where we have the opportunities to talk to people about, about Christ. And that's where we have opportunities to train people. So it's what we do on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday that makes us a godly person, that makes us a disciple of Jesus Christ, not just coming to church on Sundays or Sundays and Wednesdays. And then we also, in Romans 12 too, it tells us how do we do that. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And then it also goes on to say that we are not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So if we want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, then we have to on purpose, consciously make that decision that we're going to, going to be like Christ. And how are we going to be like Christ? Being transformed by the renewing of our minds with God's Word. And so we're going to talk more about that this evening. But going on to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, How do we live as a disciple? 
And this is a key passage for me and is a passage that helped change my life to make me want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I became a believer in Jesus Christ whenever I was 10 years old. And it wasn't until about 2008. Um, see, that way I don't give you my age. But it wasn't until about 2008 that I decided to become a disciple of Jesus Christ where I said, man, you know, I was disciplined. First Timothy 4.7. I was in a, in a class that JB was teaching and it's called the 412 Discipline for Godliness. And the key verse there was 1 Timothy 4.7. In 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, it says, Have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is not only profitable in this life, but also in the life to come. And as I was in there and, and surrounded by um, a group of men, and I looked at their lives and I saw that, man, that's what I want to be like. I want to be like JB is. I want to be like some of those other guys that was in that Bible study with us. And I said, I don't want to just be disciplined for the things in this life because the things in this life are temporary. And I was disciplined in those things in this life. I was at work all the time. I mean, I worked, I, I was diligent to be there on time to do whatever it was that I was supposed to do. I was diligent to make it home, to make sure that I watched my favorite TV shows every time they were on. Um, you know, I was diligent to make it to those ball games, and I was there on time watching the basketball games, OSU. Um, you know, I was disciplined to do all of these things, but all of those things are not ultimately profitable. They're profitable maybe in this life. They bring enjoyment in this life. Sometimes at cowboy games, it doesn't always bring enjoyment, you know, but um, most of the time, you know, it brings enjoyment. And so it was pro it's profitable for this life. But I said, man, I want my life to look like these guys because these guys are investing in other lives. These guys are not just disciples, but they're making disciples. And I want my life to look like their lives. And so I did that. I disciplined myself for the purpose of godliness. And one of the ways that I did that was what we are going to see here in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And um, let's look at the passage real quick. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. It says 1 and 2 there, but I add, number, I add verse 3 in there too because I think if you do what Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, sometimes we need to look at three to help us keep on keeping on. Because whenever we live the Christian life, we live as a disciple of Jesus Christ, um, then the things of this world are going to come after us because we're living contrary to the world. We're living for Christ and we need to realize that, you know, Christ didn't give up. We can look to Him for our hope and for our endurance. So somebody read Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Out loud. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners himself against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Okay, so let's list the three practical aspects of living for Christ that we find in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And A is we are to lay aside. Lay aside. And we're going to talk about each of these three here in just a minute. But we are to lay aside. B is we are to run with endurance. We are to run with endurance. And then C is we are to focus on Christ. We are to focus on Christ. So first there we see that it says, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. So as we live for Christ, we're to remove anything that might slow us down. We are to lay aside every encumbrance, or you might put in parentheses right there, any weight 
That's what the King James Version uh, uses for that word. Weight and the sin that trips us up. So we're to lay aside every weight and the sin that trips us up. And then number two there, the things that are slowing us down could be both good or bad. So the things that are slowing us down could be both good or bad. So let's think about that for just a minute. It says lay aside every encumbrance or every weight. And you're thinking about running a race. You run the race with endurance. You want to take off everything that may slow us down. If we're going to go run a marathon, we're not going to put on a heavy jogging suit and, and you know wear our combat boots and things like that. What are we going to do? We're going to want to have on as few clothes as we can possibly get, um, the least wind resistance, the lightest weight shoes that we can get whenever we're running a race because, you know, you don't want to put on a backpack with, with a bunch of weights in it because what's that going to do? It's going to slow you down. It's going to make the, the race harder to run. And so that's what he's telling us there is to lay aside any of those weights and like it said there, that this weight is not something that's necessarily a bad thing. So what are some things that are not necessarily bad that are in this world that slow us down, that slow you down? We'll say slow the world down or these other people down, not necessarily you specifically. But what are some things? Work. Work. Distractions. Distractions. Too many commitments. Too many commitments. What slows you down? What keeps you from having a quiet time on a regular basis? What What keeps you from being in church on Sunday mornings? What what is it that slows you down to get into a mature level that you wish you were at or that you would like to be at? That are good things. And these are not, we're not saying that they're bad things, but they're things that take up your time, that eat up your time. Being a parent. Being a parent. After school activities. After school activities. Social media. What did you say? Hobbies. Hobbies. So those things in and of themselves, being a parent's not a bad thing, is it? Having after school activities, not a bad thing. Having hobbies, not a bad thing. I mean, those things are all good things, okay things um, to have. But oftentimes, they can, they can slow us down. And they can keep us from getting to where we want to be um, in our Christian life. And so we got to lay aside those things that are slowing us down. We've got to make our priorities, um, readjust our lives, look at what is the most important things, and um, get on track to where, where God wants us to be. There's a saying there, although many things are permissible, not all things are profitable. Although there are many things that are permissible, but not all things are profitable. Good things can become bad things when they replace the best things. Good things can become bad things when they replace the best things. I have a hobby, and um, you know I enjoy playing golf. And uh, but if I decided, hey, you know, I'm going to play golf and rather than being at church on Sunday morning, you know, that's a good day to play golf. And so because, you know, a lot of people are at church and so there's not as many people on the golf course on Sunday morning. So I think I'll just start playing golf on Sunday morning rather than going to church. So now that good thing going out and playing golf, which is a good thing. It's definitely a good thing. Everybody agrees with that. <laughs> golf is a good thing. Um, has now become a bad thing because it replaced the best thing. Going fishing. You know, it's okay to go fishing. 
But if you do it on Sunday morning, then that good thing becomes a bad thing because it replaces the best thing. Reading the newspaper, reading a novel, those aren't bad things, are they? But if you say, well, I've got I've to finish reading the newspaper so I just don't have time to read my Bible today, then that thing that's a good thing becomes a bad thing because it replaces the best thing. And so we need to lay aside whatever it is that's slowing us down. What is it that we see that gets in our way of spending time with Christ on a, on a daily basis? What is it that keeps us from spending time with Christ and fellow believers on Sundays and Wednesdays? Lay those things aside so that we can press on to maturity. So he says the, that they can both be good or bad. It says lay aside the encumbrances. And then it goes on to say the sin which so easily entangles us. What do you think that means there, the sin which so easily entangles us? Sin would be something that separates you from God or from God. Okay, but it says the sin that so easily... What did you say? The flesh. I mean, there's, there's kind of two ways to take it. There may be more than that, but there's two ways uh, that I see here. If you look back to Hebrews chapter 11, look at all of these people, and what does it say? By faith, Abel. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. So by faith, they live their lives. And so... One of the things, the sin that so easily entangles us may be our lack of faith. You know, yeah, we have faith in Jesus Christ to give us eternal life, but do we have faith to walk the Christian life? We have faith for eternal life, but do we have faith to live out the Christian life? Therefore, we, we are to walk by faith and not by sight. And so... That could be one aspect or one way that, that you could look at that. But there's another way, I think, that we can look at that as well. There is the sin which so easily entangles us. And I think a lot of times people in this world have that sin that just kind of always creeps up, um, that kind of keeps us from, from growing and going on to maturity. So whatever that sin is that, that so easily entangles you, that sin that trips you up, that sin is like, you know, man, I really want to read the Bible, but, you know, I've got this magazine over here that I'd rather look at. Or, um, yeah, I, I know I'm supposed to spend time with God, but I've got this over here, this, this sin that, that keeps me from, from spending time with Him. And so whatever that sin is that so easily entangles us, that may be what it is that, that's tripping you up. And it may be different for, for different people. But, you know, we got to look at what is it that's keeping us from our fellowship, our, our abiding with Christ in, in our Christian lives. And we need to lay those things aside. Because sin builds a barrier between you and God and also between other Christians. So whenever we have this sin in our lives, it's not only just keeping us from doing what God wants us to do, getting in His Word, growing and maturing, but it also builds a barrier between us and Him and us and other Christians whenever we have sin in our lives. So we need to lay aside those things, lay aside anything that may be slowing us down. And the truth is, you know, there's not just sins of commission, and that's what most of us think about in our, in our lives. You know, we say, man, I've got this sin because I do, I cuss. I've got sin in my life because I cheat. i got sin in my life because I steal. But the truth is, there's also the sin of omission. We're not doing what God tells us to do. God commands us to study the Word. Study to show yourself approved to God. God's Word tells us to meditate on the Word. God's Word tells us to go out and make disciples of Jesus Christ. So if we're not doing what God's Word tells us to do, then we have that sin 
the sin of omission. And so what is it that is slowing us down? What is it that we need to lay aside? For me, the ultimate thing was that that I made the greatest change in my life that I laid aside was sleeping. You know, I loved to sleep. And so I I was back at that point in time, I was at Sears. Um, We had the Sears store here in town and um, I would get up. I'd need to be to work about 8.30 in the morning. We opened at 9.30. And so I'd get there about 8.30, which means that I could get up at 7.30. I could take a shower. And, you know, I was a great Christian guy, so I always had my quiet time. I would speed read through one chapter of the Bible so I could check that off my list of things to do before I went to, went to work. And I called that my quiet time. Um, and then I went on about my day. But then I realized, and then also on my day off, and uh, me and Rachel had the same day off and so everybody in our family and everybody at work and everybody knew you don't call our house on our day off before noon because we were sleeping in we you know we enjoyed sleeping and so after going through um, that discipline for godliness class and and just seeing all the different aspects and parts that were in there one of the things that I decided to lay aside in my life was was sleep. I knew that I could live on less sleep. And so now I get up pretty much every morning, even my days off, at 4.45. And um, I used, whenever I was back at Sears, I still didn't have to be to work until 8.30. And so I used that time, and that's where I did my scripture memorization. That's where I did my Bible study time. That's why I have so many scriptures memorized now that I didn't have then because I had all of these hours in my day that I had nothing to do that I'd been doing nothing with. I'd just been sleeping. And rather than just filling them with more junk, I decided, you know, I'm going to discipline myself for the purpose of godliness. And that's what made a change in my, my life. So sleep was what it was for me. What is it for you that you can lay aside, that you can make more time to be more engaged with Christ to get more into his word so that you can know him better and know his word better and so you can have time and be prepared to make disciples any thoughts comments questions it's a powerful thing if you think about it and and if you dwell on these things um, you know because we do have more time in our lives you know we all feel like we're busy all the time but a lot of the things that we are busy with is busyness and uh, it's not things that are that are crucial that are vital that are important beyond this life and so we need to lay those things aside so down there in the box it says remove anything that may be stopping you from going on to maturity then b is run with endurance The Christian life is a long-distance run, day after day, I even say second by second, living in faithful obedience to God's Word. So it's a long-distance run. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, it says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. And that's what we want to do. God is stewarded. We're stewards of what God has given to us. He has given to us time, talents, finances, children, um, all of those things are, are things that God has given to us. And we are to steward those things. That means we are to take care of them and, and to use them for an ultimate purpose. And so we, we need to use those in our Christian life. But the truth is, there's a battle that's going on inside of us. The flesh against the spirit. The spirit against the flesh. They're contrary to one another so that we don't do the things that we please. And so, even though we have the power over sin, that we've died and rose again with Christ to a new life, Romans chapter 6, we've died and rose again with Christ to a new life. We have the power over sin. We have a choice that we can make day by day. Am I going to live in the power of the Holy Spirit? Or am I going to live in the flesh? 
Am I going to live for the things of this world or am I going to live for the eternal? Am I going to live for God? So we have a choice. we got to decide. How are we going to do? It's not easy. It doesn't come naturally. We must train ourselves. We have to be prepared. We have to be disciplined. We have to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. So the Christian life, it's not a sprint. It's a long-distance run. You know, some people, they look at the Bible and they see, you know, how big this is and how many pages and how many words are there. And, you know, they just give up. Like, you know, I, I just can't do that. But, you know, we've got our whole life that is ahead of us. And if we'll take time and invest in the Word like we do for our jobs, like we do for our children, uh, then we can get through it. We can study it. We can know it. And we can make application in our lives. So it's, it's a long-distance run. It's a long book. We've got our lifetime to learn it, to dig it, to study it, to know it. So don't give up. Press on. And then C is focus on Christ. Focus on Christ. We are to keep looking at Jesus. We're to keep looking at Jesus. The Greek word means to look away from everything else and keep focused on something. To look away from everything else and keep focused on something. What's one of the greatest examples of this found in the Scripture? Peter walking on the water. Peter walking on the water, exactly right. We've just seen it in Grow Group. Um, we've been going over in Grow Groups um, the sayings of Peter, and one of the sayings of Peter was whenever they're out there in the boat and, Je and Jesus is walking on the water, and Peter... Uh, says to Jesus, command me to walk out on the water. And so, what does Peter do? What does he do? Does he step out? Steps out in faith and he's walking on the water. But then what happens? Took, took his eyes off Jesus. Looked at the circumstances surrounding him. The waves billowing around him. And what happens? starts to sink. And so the same is true for us. We're to keep our focus on Jesus. A runner running a race, what does he do? Does he look around, wonder where everybody else is, looking over your shoulder? Or what are you supposed to be looking at? Straight ahead at the finish line. And where are we headed? Where's our finish line? be absent from the body is to be where? Present. present with the Lord. And so the finish line is to be with Christ. Is to be present with the Lord. And so we need to keep our focus on Jesus Christ, on where we're going, rather than the circumstances surrounding us. We need to focus on Jesus Christ. You know, joy comes from the Lord. Philippians. You know, joy comes from the Lord. Our happenings make us happy. They make us sad. But joy comes from the Lord. Maturity comes from the Lord. And so we need to be in His Word. We need to be focusing on Him in all that we do. So as disciples, we offer our lives, removing anything that is slowing us down, faithfully running, and keeping our focus on Christ. But whenever we do that, look on to verse 3. Because it says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And the truth is, if we're living the Christian life like we're supposed to be living it, if we're laying aside anything that's slowing us down, we're running the race of endurance, our focus is on Jesus Christ, then what's going to happen around us? Follow me, please. We're in a fallen world. If they persecuted me, then what are they going to do to you? They're going to persecute you. Exactly right. And so the world is probably going to come after you. And the enemy um, is going to come after you. And, um, and so we have to 
do what verse 3 says. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners. How did he do that? Look back to verse 2. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. And so he endured the cross for you and me. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was crushed. He was despising the shame. They spit on him. They made fun of him. But what did he do? He stayed on that cross for you and for me so that we could have eternal life as a gift. So what are we to do? We're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. We're to keep on keeping on. And whenever we say, man, this is just too tough. This is too hard. What do we need to do? Verse 3, consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Just keep on keeping on because remember what it is that Jesus did for you. So, any thoughts, comments, questions? I mean, that's that's a powerful passage of Scripture right there. It's powerful if you decide that you want to live your life for Christ. These are some practical things that you can think about and say, man, what is it in my life that I can lay aside? I know that this is going to be a long-distance run. I'm not going to know everything that I need to know by next week, by next year. That's why God has given me an entire life to live so that I can study this, so that I can know it, (coughs) so that I can make disciples. And then keep your focus on where you're going, your focus on Him rather than the things and the circumstances in life. Talk to me. Anything stand out there? Anything that you can take away from there? Nothing? You got nothing? All right. Well, as we seek to be disciples and to make disciples, there's a twofold plan. Number one is we need to prepare ourselves. We need to prepare ourselves. And then number two is teach others. Teach others. So whenever we think about preparing ourselves, it takes us back to a verse that we've looked at before, Ezra 7.10. Does anybody know what Ezra 7.10 says? Go ahead. For Ezra determined in his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to practice it, and to teach his statutes, ordinances, and all Israel. All right. So Ezra purposed in his heart. So so he had a he set his heart. He purposed in his heart. So that is that he made a decision. He made a plan. He decided what it was that he was going to do. And we talked a little bit about this last week. It's not just about deciding that you want to change your behaviors, um, just gain a little knowledge, but it's, it's a change of heart. we got to set our hearts. We have to decide purpose in our hearts that we want to live for Christ. We want to look at what it is, what He endured for us, and that should, should give us purpose. That should, should set our hearts and help us in this manner. B is, what does this mean? And, and to set our hearts or, or to purpose in your heart, it means to make a decision, a plan, to prepare. We have to be prepared if we're going to give an account for the hope that's within us. So we have to make a decision to plan or prepare. And then the threefold aspect of his decision was to know, apply, and teach. And we've talked about this before. In order to know the Word of God, we have to study it. We've got to dig it. We've got to see what it says. And then we want to take what it says, we want to apply it to our lives. We want to live it out. We want to practice it in our lives. And then finally, we want to teach it to others. We want to teach it to others. Not just knowledge. That's not what we want to teach people is just what we know. But we want to teach them what we know and then we want to teach them by living it out in our lives. We want to show them what it means to live like Christ. So let's talk about these three aspects and how it affects us. 
there's two key aspects of preparing ourselves. And the first one is we must know the Word of God. We must know the Word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15. Does anybody know what that says? Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed after handling the Word of truth. Okay. Be diligent or study is what the King James Version. So what do we have to do? We have to study. We have to be diligent. We have to study to show ourselves approved to God. And we talked about that before. You know, we can fake it around other people a lot of times that, that we know God's Word. But we have to study to show ourselves approved to God. You know, He's the author of the book. You know, it's, it's easy to trick other people that, that you're smart. But whenever you get in the class that the teacher wrote the book, you can't fake it in those classes. And we can't fake it around God. He knows our heart. He knows where we're at. He knows how much we know. And so we want to show ourselves, study to show ourselves approved to God as a workman who need not be ashamed, accurately handling the Word of truth. And to accurately handle the Word of truth means that we are to rightly divide the Word of God. So down there in that blank, we are to rightly divide the Word of God. And to rightly divide the Word of God means to know how it fits together. To know how the Bible fits together. Second Peter 3.18 We're to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We can't just... Focus on one area or another. We've got to grow in both the grace and the knowledge. So speaking of Bible knowledge, it's time for the quiz. Let's see how much we know here. So we're going to think about three big areas to know. Number one there is Bible knowledge. Bible knowledge. So... Question number one, how many books are there in the Bible? 66. 66. You guys are on your toes. How many is in the New Testament? 37. I thought you all were on your toes here. What happened? How many? 37. Close. How many? Oh, I could guess. <laughs> Thirty-six. <laughs> yeah. Higher or lower? Low. I'm just kidding. Thirty-four. One of the one of the numbers was right. The other number was wrong. Thirty-nine. Twenty-nine. There are thirty-seven in the Old Testament, right? Thirty-nine in the Old Testament. And 27 in the New Testament. Oh. Here, here's your math lesson. I, you know, you didn't think you were coming for math, but we're coming for math. So there's how many in the Old Testament? 39. 39. So what's 3 times 9? 27. 27. So there's your way to remember it. Old Testament first, 39. 3 times 9 equals 27. 27 in the New Testament. And then if you can add 39 plus 27 equals 66. There you go. The Bible's all about math. I feel like a conspiracy theorist made that first one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. We're on a roll here. So how's the Old Testament broken down? Four different sections. Wisdom. How does it start with the what? Law. 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 History. 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 Writings. Writings. And prophecy. What about the New Testament? How is it broken down? History. History. Letters. Letters. Prophecy. And prophecy. Because you said said gospels, but then you leave off Acts, so it's history, which gives you Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then adds Acts to it as well. 
because it's all history in the first 30 years of the church is um, the book of Acts. And so you've got that and then the epistles, all the letters written by who wrote the most who wrote, here I'll ask you another question. Who wrote the largest portion of the New Testament? Oh, wow. Yeah. John. <laughs> Luke. Luke. In Luke wrote Luke and Acts. There's more in Luke and Acts than there, in, there are in all 13 of Paul's letters. Trick question there, you know. Got to throw those in every once in a while. But who wrote the most, the most letters? Paul, exactly. How many did he write? Did you say thirteen? There you go. See, somebody's paying attention here. Thirteen. I know, right? I have a few good qualities. All right. Yeah, I gave you the answer. I mean, we we ought to be able to get that. All right. Let's see. Who was the who was the first Jew? Abraham. Abraham. Who was the first king? Saul. Saul. Who was the second king? David. Who was the third king? Saul. How long did they all reign? Forty years. Forty years. There you go. Why are there four Gospels? Present Jesus in four different ways. Present Jesus in four different ways based on what? I was thinking of the, Jesus as the, um, the king, the servant, the man of God. But why did, they, why did they need to portray him in those four different ways? Because he's portrayed that way in the Old Testament. Exactly. And so we see that Jesus was portrayed that way in the Old Testament. So Matthew shows Jesus as what? The king. The king. Mark. Servant. Servant. Luke. Man. And John. God. God. So Matthew shows him as king. Does anybody know where you'd find that the Old Testament said that he'd be the king? About Zechariah 9 9. Come in riding on the fountain of donkey. Let's see. What about servant? Suffering servant passage. Where's that found? Isaiah. Isaiah 42. What about man? <coughs> Prophesied that he was going to be a man. Isaiah 7. 14. Behold, a virgin will be a child and bear a son. She will call his name. Emmanuel. Micah 5 2. What about God? Said that he was going to be God. Could use Isaiah 7 14 as well there. Um, because he you'll call him who? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. But also Isaiah 9 6. Behold, a child will be born, a son will be given. He'll be called Almighty God, Prince of Peace. So we see through the Old Testament portrayed that Jesus was going to be a king, a servant, a man, and that he was going to be God. And so, what did we say we needed to do? We need to study the Bible to see how it fits together. Well, there, 
we get a good picture of how the Bible fits together. That Jesus is portrayed in four different ways and the four different Gospels show Him in the four different aspects. All right, let's see what else I have here. Who was it that built the ark? Noah. Noah. That felt like a trick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that's good enough. So we've got first area that we need to know is Bible knowledge. So we need to know the Word of God. We need to know what's in there. We need to know how it fits together. So how are we going to do that? Study it. Study it. Exactly right. Then the next thing is theology. Theology. And those are key terms. Like redemption. What does redemption mean? Purchased by paying a price. What about justification? What's that mean? Declared righteous. So we're declared righteous. We're justified. We're declared righteous. What about salvation? What does that mean? Just be rescued from death, I guess. Okay. It could be, it's pretty broad. It's pretty broad, isn't it? Yeah. And we talked about it, you know, um, in here a couple of times very quickly, but there's more than one type of salvation in the, in the Bible. What are the different types of salvation? Sanctification, glorification, and so, physical salvation. Huh? And, and physical, exactly. So there's really four different types of salvation, but most people, whenever they see the word salvation or the word saved in the Bible, what do they always think of? Justification. Justification. They think that everything is talking about eternal life, salvation, where more times than not, it's not talking about eternal life, salvation, especially in the Old Testament. It's dealing most of the time with physical deliverance. That God is going to save His people from whatever trouble they've got themselves into. Because why? Because they didn't obey God's Word. And so God allowed someone to come in and to cause trouble, destruction, cause them to be carried away. And they cry out to God for them for God to save them and he does physical deliverance save them but there are the three aspects of salvation as well justification past tense we have been saved sanctification Christian life we are being saved and then glorification is will that we will be saved future tense salvation and so one way, whenever you're looking at the Bible and you see the word um, salvation or saved, um, then you have to look at what tense it's in in order to determine which aspect is it talking about. Is it talking about eternal life, justification? Is it talking about the Christian life, work out your own salvation, present tense, work out your own salvation, that's Christian life. Or your salvation is nearer than it's ever been. Glorification. And so you have to look at the tense that it's in in order to determine that. And there's John 5.24 that does all three. Yeah, truly, truly, I say to you, and we looked at that in here. John 5.24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has, present tense, eternal life, does not come into judgment in the future. Why? Because in the past, he's already passed from death to life. 
And so, key important stuff that we need to know. So theology, there's all kinds of those words. So not only justification, not only salvation, but we just talked about sanctification and glorification. And so all of those Asians you need to know, I guess. And then number three is the philosophy of ministry. Philosophy of ministry. What about spiritual gifts? Where would you go to find a listing of spiritual gifts in the Bible? 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12. Where else? Four places. What's the what's this what's this class based off of? Ephesians four. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists. So Ephesians four, first Corinthians twelve, first Peter four, and Romans twelve. So it's four and twelve. There you go. If you can remember four and twelve, you'll have it. First Corinthians twelve, Romans twelve. Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. So, spiritual gifts, staying on that same thing. What are they for? For service. For the building up of the body of Christ. And so, in order for the body to function properly, God has given each and every person at least one spiritual gift, every believer. Um, at least one spiritual gift and we use our gift to serve the body of Christ and it's not for ourselves it is for the body and it's for the body to grow both spiritually and numerically because we use our gifts also to go out there's a gift of evangelism where we go out, we share the gospel with people to build up the body numerically as well. But most of the gifts, as you look at them, are for the building up of the body of Christ spiritually. What about the Christian life? What's the purpose of the Christian life? Be fruitful. Make disciples. Make disciples. That's exactly right. We said, what's our purpose? Purpose is to make disciples. Purpose individually for each individual is to make disciples, but the purpose of the church as a whole is to make disciples. How do we live the Christian life? Obedience to the Word. Love God, love others, walk in the Spirit. JB says a Christian life is a walk of faith based on the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's a walk of faith. We, we walk by faith as we go through this life based on the Word of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We've already seen tonight how do we walk in the Christian life. What do we see tonight? So we lay aside anything that's slowing us down. We run the race with endurance. Fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ. Focusing on Christ. Exactly right. And so that's how we live the Christian life. Purpose of the Christian life. Make disciples. Purpose of the spiritual gifts. So philosophy of ministry. What's the purpose of the church? All of these kinds of things, you know, are things that we need to know. I like what he's got there in that, in that box. I'm not a coffee drinker, but I am a tea drinker. Much like making strong tea and weak tea. What makes one strong and one weak? The difference is the longer the tea bag stays in the water, the stronger it gets. 
just like the longer one stays in the Word of God, the stronger one becomes. And so, if we want to be stronger in Christ, if we want to be better disciples, if we want to live the Christian life um, in a way that pleases God, then we need to stay in His Word. So, any questions or anything? You going to be ready for that quiz next week? All right. Just thinking of all the options for Pella's questions. <laughs> <laughs> they just go on forever. All right. The second key aspect of preparing ourselves is we must apply God's Word. We must apply God's Word. Somebody look up Philippians 4.9. Who's got it? Leslie's got Philippians 4.9, Ephesians 4.1. Who's got that? Jessica. Who's got 1 Timothy 4.12? Who's got Ephesians 4.1? Oh, you got that. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.12. 1 Timothy 4.12. You got that one? Somebody get Titus 2 7. Who's got it? Somebody got it? Somebody going to get it? I can get Titus 2 7. Alright, you got that one. So, start off Philippians 4 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, so we must apply God's word. Philippians 4 9 tells us to do what? practice it and I like that verse and I've said it before in here I know but I like what it says the things which you have learned and received heard and seen in me you practice these things and so as we are teaching people which is going to be our ultimate goal that we're going to see here next is we don't just teach people through our words, it's through our words and our deeds. And that's what Paul says. The things which you have heard and seen in me, you've, the things which you have learned and received, heard and seen in me, practice these things. The things that you've heard me say, the teachings that I've given to you, and the things that you've seen me demonstrate in my life. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so we need to think about our lives. Are we practicing the things that we preach? Are we living our lives in such a way that we say, hey, those of us that have children, do we want them to imitate the way that we're living our lives? Because what do they do? They do imitate the things. And it seems like they pick up on the bad things like this. You know, you do everything. You do it just like this. This is the good thing. Oh, man, I slipped up. Hey, they caught that. And then they want to be like that. How is it that they do that? I don't know. All right. Ephesians 4.1. What does it say? Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So we're to apply God's word. And what does that verse tell us we are to do? Walk worthy. Walk worthy of our calling. So what is our calling? What are we called in the Bible? God. Children of God. Ambassadors. Ambassadors. Disciples. Disciples. Saints. Are you living like a saint? Walking worthy of your calling? So this is what we're to walk like. Like we're called. What about 1 Timothy 4.12? Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech conduct love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Okay, so we're to show ourselves as a what? Example. example of those who believe. And how do we do that? What are those four things? 
no one looked down on youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. I guess there's five. I can't count very well. That math lesson may have been wrong earlier. I can't even count. <laughs> so, those are the ways. So, what's coming out of our mouth? Are we showing love to other people? Do we have faith to trust God in trials and tribulations in life? Are we pure? What about Titus 2.7? And you yourselves be, must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Go on and read the next verse to you. Okay. Verse 8. Um, teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. And so if we're living right, if we're living in as, a, as an example of Christ, as, an, as a believer, if we're walking worthy of our calling, then those people that come after us will have nothing bad to say about us. Because we're living our life like Christ. Now they may say bad things about us, but they're not things that the world can hold against us. Because we're living a righteous lifestyle. I don't know if that holds true anymore because living a righteous lifestyle in the, in the world that we're living in right now is we hate everybody else because uh, we stand for the truth. And it's a sad thing. So, what are we to do? We're to know the Word of God. We're to apply the Word of God. And then the final thing we are to do is we are to teach the Word of God. 2 Timothy 2.2. Somebody quote that for me. These things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. Exactly. So 2 Timothy 2.2. We are to take the things that we have heard and entrust them to faithful believers. And entrust means to deposit or pass on. So the things which you have heard, entrust them to faithful believers. And to entrust means to pass on, deposit or pass on. The things we have heard refers to the things that we've been taught from the truths of God's Word. And we're to pass on these biblical truths to faithful believers so that they will be able so that they will be able to teach. And to be able means to be qualified. So be able to teach others. To be able means to be qualified. So we want to train faithful believers so they can in turn train others. Why faithful believers? Why do you got to look for somebody that's faithful? Because they're probably the people who are studying the Word and memorizing verses. It doesn't do any good if somebody isn't already living life and walking that way. If they're not faithful, they won't teach anybody else. Exactly. So if they're not faithful to show up for you to teach them, then they're probably not going to be faithful to take it on. And so there's, you know, you're looking for someone that's faithful who will be able to take what you've taught and pass it on to other people as well. And so you, you want somebody that, that is willing to be there. JB calls them fat people is what we're looking for. They're faithful, they're available, and they're teachable. Some people think they already know it all. You can't teach them anything. And so they don't need you. Some people are just not available. You know, your times just don't line up. I work 9 to 5. And, you know, and somebody else works from, from 
five to ten or five to nine or something like that in the evenings then you know they're not available it just doesn't match up with your schedule and so it's going to be hard to disciple that kind of person and then you're looking for somebody that's faithful whenever you make a an appointment you set a time that they're there and that they make it a priority in their lives and so we're looking for those faithful people available people and teachable people so that they will turn around and take what you taught to them and they'll teach it to others as well so any thoughts comments questions before we get to the summary This is some good stuff. I hope you guys think about this and think about these things and and look at your life and see, is this what I'm doing with my life? Do I have a plan? Do I have a purpose? Am I living for now? Am I too focused on, on the now, the temporary things? Or am I focused on the eternal things? Lay aside the things that are slowing us down and run the race with endurance keeping our focus on where we're going on Christ. So in summary, number one, we must lay aside anything stopping us and continue day after day as we focus on Christ. We must lay aside anything stopping us and continue day after day as we focus on Christ. We must lay aside anything stopping us and continue day after day as we focus on Christ. Number two, we must prepare ourselves and then train others. We must prepare ourselves and then train others. Number three, we are prepared as we study God's Word and make application. We are prepared as we study God's Word and make application. And number four, we train others and entrust God's Word to them so they can teach others. We train others and entrust God's Word to them so they can teach others.